The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Tuesday, March 5th to you folks. Welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Café, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, let me tell you about what we're going to talk about today. We're going to continue our conversation we had with yesterday's guest, Terry Edom. He's an energy writer for the BEO Report. Also, he's the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Yesterday, he talked about the religion of environmentalism, some of the tactics used by extremists. He explained the theme of his book and how environmental movement is causing more harm to the planet than they're intending. The conversation also talked about potential solutions and entry-level ideas about plastic reduction in soda bottles, grocery bags, and a six-pack holders, rather than the idiocy of eliminating fossil fuels altogether. That is a very difficult and unrealistic conversation to have. Reducing some of the impacts on the planet is another conversation, one the energy industry will openly have with someone who will have an intelligent conversation about that. The problem is, many of the extreme environmentalists do not have intelligent conversations. For example, electric vehicles, lithium mining. Edom challenges the multiple ideas coming from env environmentalists, including the example of the iPhone, which contains about 78, uh, 78 elements from the periodic table. So a lot of times that these solutions they have actually cause more problems to the planet. So we talk about how the energy industry is actually one of the only ones creating solutions. They're creating solutions to the problems that we're talking about. So that's the conversation that's going to continue today with Terry Edom, energy writer, BOE Report, also the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. And you know what? We're going to get right to it today. we got a big show, full show. So in just a moment, Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of the end of the fossil fuel insanity, right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Well, the circuit holds the power of the hour, and the light switch turns your tongue sour. There's no way to explain how the got that way. It's the same reason the sky's blue. When you believe in of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc. Mm -hmm.
Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. In, in North Dakota, they've gone like 51, 52 days below zero or below freezing, you know, and so we're mm-hmm. getting to where we're, now we're starting to get into the cold season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. hopefully we're on the way out. But uh, so when I wrote that article, I was heading into fall and we were, uh, the U.S. was heading into a, uh, the lowest storage levels in, in decades and uh, winter was coming and the the, the low storage didn't seem to phase anyone because the attitude was that, well, there's all sorts of wells that can be turned on at a moment's notice, and so we don't need a lot of storage. And U.S. gas storage uh, capacity hasn't really grown that much. It's grown some, but not a lot, nowhere near what consumption has grown. So the, the article I wrote was like, I, I hope people wake up and pay attention to their possible risk here. Uh, if you did have a cold winter from, say, I don't know, beginning of December right through, if you depleted supplies, what would happen? And I'm sure some people, especially now, we made it through winter and it wasn't cold for a long time, so we're okay on the storage side. But some people might look at it and go, well, see, the system works, or that was just fear-mongering or whatever. But the the, the point still holds, and, and the fact that the winter was warmer, it's been colder, like you said, for now, but uh, before, in the earlier part of the year, um, when demand could be really high, we made it through okay. Um, but the danger hasn't gone away, and then these these smaller events, like you mentioned here, just point out again the the uh, how close we are to like real trouble. Um, and in Chicago, when they had that extreme cold snap uh, a few weeks ago, there where it got so cold, it was only for a few days. Uh, there was a compressor fire uh, somewhere outside of Chicago, and it limited the flow. And um, as an emergency measure, they shut down I think 13 auto manufacturing plants somewhere because they were just such they could shut them down, and they were such big draws of natural gas. But that, that's how close we are to trouble. And if, and if you think of an apartment building, even where you live there, with, that had its natural gas shut off for a day um, in conditions like this, like w- what would happen to the population? And what would happen to the building with all the pipes freezing and breaking? What would it look like when you turned the natural gas back on? And if you think of like one building, that's horrible, but a whole city would be like that. And, and where would people go for shelter? And what about hospitals? And we're, we're we're, we're, we, we hang by a thread that we don't re- realize it. I mean, well, a few threads, but these are natural gas pipelines, and, and people just can't get that. In um, Vancouver or in British Columbia, there was a natural gas pipeline that blew up in the northern part of the province, a long ways from Vancouver, hundreds of miles. And, uh, and it was down for five days, and they brought it back up at part capacity. And Vancouver was warned when that pipeline was down. This, and this is in October, and it doesn't get very cold there. It's like Seattle. They hardly have a winter. Um, people in uh, colleges and uh, bigger institutions were warned to uh, wear mitts and, and coats to classes because there was no heat in the buildings. And that was just for a few days in October. And if that happened in January, like, it, it, I don't know, a lot of lives are at stake here, and people just don't get that. And uh, we're, we're, there is a lot of gas out there. You're absolutely right. But we, we've been so uh, accustomed to it always being there that um, we, we have to think about what happens if it's not. Well, and that's what I was wondering is, is what what are the biggest issues? Is it the pipeline? Is it the storage? Is it uh, um, a combination of things? Um, you know, I mean, because we know that they're, they're, there's so much natural gas that they're flaring most of it. It's being flared, yep. And, and, and a lot of the problem, I think, is the 
the difficulty in building pipelines, which in, in Canada, it's extreme here. We can't get anything built. But I know you have issues down there, too, and like New York State has blocked uh, pipelines. And that's one of the reasons Rhode Island had the emergency is because pipelines can't be built to get them more natural gas. And everywhere you turn, it's harder to build this kind of energy infrastructure. So it can't get from the places where it's in excess to where it needs to be. So, uh, But part of it has been the, just the success of these fields themselves, where, where we, everyone is now convinced that we have we can get the gas out of the ground as quickly as we need it, which is um, may or may not be true. There's a lot of booming wells, but uh, nothing lasts forever like that. So we, we just have to, I, I think that as we get more and more, um, I wouldn't say addicted, but uh, we, we as natural gas is used in more and more places and more of it's exported offshore as well as these new terminals coming on the demand just keeps growing up and then that just puts the risk that much higher if there ever ever is a, a big disruption what are you working on over at the uh, boe report these days just more of the same in canada here we're i don't know if you're familiar with our situation down there very much but we're it's like the country is run by greenpeace here we, we have we're blockaded pretty much from building any infrastructure we can't get pipelines built to either coast there's too much oil backing up in our province and natural gas and um, there's pipelines like the keystone xl which was um, being built to to haul oil from alberta down to the gulf coast that's been halted by there's a montana judge actually that's holding that up right now um and and anything that um the environmental activists are so strong here and so good at what they do that they they, they put a, a block on pretty much anything that gets built that's of any significance. So, so it's 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 very um, uh, the the mood is pretty downbeat here. That's for sure, just because it's, uh, it's hard to get anything built. Mr. Terry Eden, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break and we continue the conversation with Terry Eden energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Look at these hands in my side They swallow the grave on that night When I drank the world's sin So I could carry you in and give you life. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue our conversation with Terry Edom, the energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. It, it's quite different and, and we have that same the problem where um, all our decisions are made. Maybe you have a bit of the same in Washington where all, all our decisions are made out in the, the eastern part in Ontario, and um, and they, they they look out for themselves, I guess like any jurisdiction, but that's where the population base is, and they don't understand um, the resource business because they just take it for granted. It always shows up whenever they need it. So, 
I was having this conversation the other day with a parent. On, I got on one of my soapboxes about the demise of the school system and education, et cetera, how it seems like they're turning them more into training facilities than education centers, but whatever. That's, that's my, my opinion. But what, what I said is that the one thing that I'm really surprised about is that they don't teach more natural resources to have an understanding where your hamburger comes from, to have an understanding where your iPhone comes from. Because I, for me, I would like the school to be able to, or an education that I'm, that I'm paying for, to at least have the kid know how to grow a sunflower plant when he's done. Something as right. simple as that. I mean, the, the fact that they don't even do anything like that to make these kids 10% self-sufficient, that blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. And it's like a, a black, it's, a, it's like a void of, in some, of a, a topic that they just don't want to talk about. Like, you, you can talk about the food chain from one end to the other, and you can talk about the biological aspects and whatever else. But, but yeah, where does that food come from, and how does it get there, and what's involved in the whole process, and what's required? Um, it, it's just something that they just don't want to talk about. They're, they're more as likely to talk about something like the Green New Deal, which is just like the, the most bizarre thing I've heard in a long, long time. But that get, that's the sort of thing that gets credibility, and it's and it's it's like fantasy land. Um, it's like teaching kids that Harry Potter is a, a better way to plan for your future than going to college. Well, yeah, and it's like having all this, you know, n- nice wine and cheese and exotic things from Italy to have, and all this other stuff at a at a good price. Because let's face it, the oil and gas world brought it to you at a really reduced price. And you, like you said, you're sitting around talking about the new green deal that's going to outlaw fossil fuels as you clink your wine glasses together. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. I, I don't know. I know my, my mind is wired like that, so I have a hard time being around situations well, like that. And I, I think people that are involved in the resource business, like you, you tend to be more cognizant of these things. You go stand in the middle of a supermarket and look at all of the food around you and just imagine what would have what wouldn't be there without fossil fuels. Most people can't even imagine that. There's a, a supermarket in Germany that did this and they just did it locally. They um, removed everything from the supermarket that didn't originate in Germany. And it was kind of funny to see because the shelves were almost bare. There's almost nothing in there and, and, and they did it as a publicity thing, but people were wandering in and saying Where's, where is everything? And, and uh, the manager said, well, we're proving a point. You want what's local? This is what's local. Everything else came from somewhere else. Right. And, and how much of that? We're no different. Well, and I wonder, too, how much of that local stuff, you know, their packaging, they probably get from out of state and a few other things. You know, they, they, there's an element there, of it. There's an element. Of, there's an element of everything. If you look around your room, I don't care where you are in the U.S. or in Canada, look around the room and what wasn't brought to you by fossil fuels, and it's almost nothing. Even the wood that was was cut down by machines using fossil fuels that wouldn't have been cut down using solar or wind, and it was processed and it was manufactured and brought to you. And it's uh, the the materials themselves. Plastic comes from petroleum, and it it just it's it's almost infinite. And that's what's so I think been hard for the petroleum industry is to get to get people to see that this isn't obvious to a lot of people. They just take it for granted. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it too. Um... Terry Edom with us. End of Fossil Fuel Insanity is his latest book available at Amazon.com. And uh, he's also a BEO energy writer. And BOE. Ca- oh, BOE. Sorry, what did I say? BEO. BEO. Okay, I, th- I must have been. Oil equivalent. I, was, I must have been trying to think of Bachman Turner Overdrive in my head or something. <laughs> I don't know. Taking care of business. 
so I was kind of winding up my winding down in my head here, wrapping up a little bit. Um, talk to me a little bit about the process of the book as far as you mentioned, it took about five years, but w- what are you hoping to do with this book? Obviously you're hoping to sell it and make some money, but this is really kind of written as more of an educational book. It seems like it, it is. It's aimed at, so I, I've, I had a lot of, uh, my readership, which is a, a lot of it is oil and gas people, but people have tended to send the, send my stories to people outside of the business to, send them to the states, send them to um, the coast, um, to people that aren't familiar with petroleum, just to say, Here, here's a different view than what you hear from the mainstream media. Because in the mainstream media, you hear the shrill environmental groups, and then you hear people arguing against environmental groups. But you don't hear, there's not much, there's not many voices in the middle are trying to say, Here, here's an understanding of the way the world actually works. And th- there's a lot of information out there that says it, but it tends to be too dry and too, um, boring and people just don't listen to those things they tune out statistics about natural gas and coal and whatever else it's just not relevant because it's always there for them so so the book kind of arose from that where people said like i wish we could get this message out to a wider audience so that that's kind of how i've written the book i kind of i start off and i say like do, do, do does anybody out there really think about if you when you're having your breakfast do you think about where your fork came from well no one thinks about that but if you think about it in terms of fossil fuels you wouldn't have a fork and you wouldn't have a breakfast and and just walk people through the 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 understanding of where their um everything that they use comes from and then just to tackle sort of in in an indirect way what the green new deal is talking about they're saying well let's just change everything and so i just walk through some examples of well what does that mean to change everything what, what is the actual cost of changing everything? And, and just one side note, like part of the Green New Deal is that they say, well, we're going to get rid of all air, tra- air travel and replace it with monorails or whatever, some rail system. And, and if you're just young and you don't think about the consequences of everything or the cost of everything, you might go, yeah, that's a great idea. Well, look what happened in California. They were going to build a high-speed rail link from, from L.A. to San Francisco. And even the green governor there shot it down because the cost estimate got to 77 billion dollars and he said that's just outrageous well now the green new deal people are saying well let's let's do that for the entire country not not just one of those let's do five thousand of those and so the the cost of that is going to be five thousand times 77 billion and then you you see just just bring this issue to people and say that's a great idea but what's actually involved in getting it done and then if you if you just paint a few of these numbers people go oh i had no idea that that was involved so that's what I tried to do with the book, and then I tried to walk through that fossil fuels kind of are responsible for our way of life. They're not necessarily evil, and yeah, there's pollution, and we do want to get rid of pollution, and we do have to, to work towards a greener future, but it has to be on a time frame that, that makes sense without killing everyone. And um, and then at the end, I just kind of try and give a bunch of examples that are real world, and it, it's like what you alluded to right at the start. Let's start with efficiency. Let's start with with worrying about common sense things. And even some of the Green New Deal things, like one of their the things that they, they they promote is like, well, let's retrofit windows to make them energy efficient. That's a fantastic idea. Where it turns into a dumb idea is to say, well, we're gonna do every building in the United States in 12 years. And hmm. then, then you lose everyone, because it's just, you just, you're not even thinking when you say that. We don't even um, have some buildings with heat yet. That's right, yeah. <laughs> So how would you go about doing that? It, it, just the logistics of it. If, as soon as you say, it's the same thing as uh, if you're if you're eight years old, you you want you say, let's get rid of world hunger, let's give everyone some food, and that's a great idea. 
But then when you're an adult, you go, well, it's not that easy. Or let's get rid of world poverty. We'll give everybody a million dollars. Well, in two weeks, you'll have rich people and poor people again. And you don't, if you're naive, you don't realize that. But if you, if you think about the consequences of things and how you change systems, especially, you realize that these things don't work. And it's the same. It's 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 no different with with getting off of petroleum. It's just going to be so much harder than people think. So I tried to illuminate that as best I could in 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 terms and using analogies and put in as much humor as I could too, just to try and make it entertaining for people so they'll actually read it. Because like I said, a lot of these statistics are out there. It's just that people don't read them because they're too dry or whatever. Mr. Terry Edom, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment one more time. We continue the conversation. We come back with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue our conversation with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Well, I tell you, this conversation has inspired me to do the Planet's Champion. I'm going to do that. Um, I was mulling around in my head because I know there's a little bit of satire, a little Stephen Colbert-ness behind it, you know. Um, that whole thing. And, but at the same time, like I said, it's, it's almost like the satire and the over the top character, if you will, is going to prove, help prove the point that the, the, the oil and gas industry is very proactive and very green, actually. It really is. It really is. And if you, and we're just, we're the, the oil and gas industry is used to being on its back foot and defending itself. And I think we just have to get used to going the other way and saying, no, you need to listen. We provide the world's energy and we do it in a very, very environmentally friendly manner. Now, it's not universal. There have been mistakes and there have been a lot of bad incidents and there's been a lot of pollution and oil spills and whatnot, but everyone is, in, is improved upon. After the Exxon Valdez spill, which was a nightmare, there are new global standards imposed for shipping oil. And after the Enbridge spill in Michigan in 2010, there were new standards for pipelines that went out across North America. And after the BP Gulf of Mexico spill, there were new standards that 
went out everywhere too. So, so each one of these is, is a learning exercise and, and we do act on them and we do care about emissions and we do try and eliminate them. Now, people can look at flaring and, and that sort of thing and, and um, the solution to flaring is just building more pipelines, being allowed to do it and get it to market. So I think we have to just be more, uh, stop being so defensive about it and start start saying like, no, no, what we do provides your way of life and there's no two ways around that. And, and just, we just need to be respected for that and allowed to, um, to progress to get to the stage that they want us to get to. I think one of the hard parts too is that the oil and gas industry is considered one of the kings of the economy. So, you know, they're up there with like banking and healthcare and healthcare and insurance, you know what I mean? Like as far as being huge and they're self-sufficient though. They don't, the other two rely on the government to really operate. Whereas oil and gas does not, and they don't want them around really because they actually create more problems. But um, uh, it's, it's true. Um, and cause you know, I get it. What you said, you know, is, you know, there was restrictions done and regulations done and this and that. And those seem to be what people talk about because it's, it's a reaction to an event when I think one of the biggest problems with oil and gas is how do they tell people what is being done proactively? Because all anybody really talks about is the reaction stuff. Whereas, You know what? Okay, what 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 are the recent things that they're doing proactively? I don't know how that would be receptive to the public, though. You know what I mean? Like, oh, there they are bragging again. Um, you know, okay, they're kind of damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, so to speak, almost. Um, so it's a it, it is it's a tough dance. It's a tough chem- chemistry set, man. It is, but there's there's all, you're right. There are things that the industry could be doing. And I used to work for a pipeline company, and um, it used to drive me crazy because we would we would not talk about. The, the safety precautions that we went through or the um, uh, for example people think that pipelines are just rusty old like an old pipeline they think it's just like a rusty old washing machine that you pull out of a lake that you can see through but with with uh, pigging technology where you send tools down the lines you can detect external corrosion that's like fractions of an inch thick like less than 64 of an inch thick and and those pieces of pipe can be dug up and removed just because they know there's some external corrosion they're not leaking or anything but the technology to, to actually like maintain a pipeline is, is, is far better than anyone even is aware of. And so I don't understand why the industry can't get out ahead of some of these messages more. And, and when they hear somebody saying, an environmental group saying that like the pipeline is dangerous, well, bring them out there and show them what you can do. Show them the monitoring technology that you have. Show them the, the and yes, there were makes, mistakes made in the past, just like in lots of industries, but show them what we can do now and, and um, or show, show them some of the good practices we do where we, we do uh, conserve things or reuse water. Um, and, and so I think the, the industry could be a lot more um, uh, open about things like that and just get used to the fact that uh, people don't realize these things. And we, need, we do need to spell it out literally for them. Here, here's, here's how well we, we can run our shop. You bring up a and, very good point, though. You bring up a very, very good point uh, about that, which is, now is the time for the energy industry to embrace public relations because it is. Be, because it, they, yeah. they can use innovation. They can use innovation yeah. as their vehicle to explain why the industry is changing. And it's, it, it, there's a short window on this. They didn't have this before. And the more, as you were talking about that, I was going, well, no wonder. These old guys used to be slinging chains and they were roughnecks and... <laughs> 
You know, I mean, you're, you're, hey, yep. man, go up to Edmonton and ask ask around about that. I yeah. mean, they're so ingrained yeah. in the culture up there. They're called the Oilers for crying out loud. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the industry has changed where it is cleaner in terms of from a visual standpoint. I wrote a column once called uh, um, Oil, Oil's Biggest Problem is Harry the Dirty Dog was that book. <laughs> We were all, we, as children, we were all conditioned that, hey, Harry went out and he get, got went down the coal chute and went in, on the oil refinery yeah. and came back all dirty. I read that book. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> but think about it. I, I read that book a hundred times, and every time it taught me that oil and gas and coal are dirty. And that's not the yeah, case yeah. anymore. That's not the case no, anymore. The case. Um, yeah, the actual tangible product is, but... It, so, so is but dirt. So is, <laughs> so is dirt and so is lots of other. There's no industrial chemical that I want poured on my breakfast cereal. Exactly. No different. Exactly. Um, so my, my point is, is that now seems to be a very, almost like we should be shaking the industry saying, hey, guys, you got a five to 10 year window to do your PR for the next 50 mm-hmm. years. Right. Right. Be, because there's it's, an, yeah, go ahead. There, there's another aspect that, that people don't think of either, like, um, so the world consumes 100 million barrels a day of oil, r- roughly now, and 340 billion cubic feet of natural gas. Well, if you if you want to shut down the North American industry, the U.S. industry, and the Canadian industry, while consumption is still climbing, and it still climbs, oil consumption goes up every year because people fly and they drive and they do whatever. If you want to shut down the North American industries, where is that product going to come from? It's going to come from Russia. It's going to come from the Middle East. It's going to come from Nigeria. It's going to come from Brazil. It's going to come from Venezuela. It's going to come from all these places that have standards that are so far inferior to ours that we don't even understand it. I I talked to a guy the other day who who did some work in Africa, and he told me about how the, the effluent and the waste and the drilling mud that's just pumped straight out into the ground. And it's... It's that that happens, and if that's happening in Russia, do you think anyone knows that, or is that reported on? But in the U.S. and Canada, we we we're open, and people can see what we do, and we get hung for that because we're transparent, mm-hmm. and, and that's not right. We we have better standards, and we let people look in, and we we, we show them our, our dirty laundry, and we say, yeah, here's all the problems, and then they say, well, that's unacceptable, and we say, yeah, that's true, but we can make it better, and we work to make it better. The other side of the world is going to. Prov- Boy, the planet's champion just got another idea. I mean, all you local source people are the ones beating down how we need to get rid of fossil fuels. We need to just go with local energy, right? <laughs> I mean, how come, how come they're not going with local energy? Why do they want, you know, Russian energy? Why do they want Lithuanian energy? Because you're right. If they, if, yeah. if, if they make these changes in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, of course they're going to import in energy. Of course they're going to. And it's going to come from wherever. It's going to come from Nigeria or Libya or Iraq. Like what, what's the environmental footprint of producing oil in Libya? Like See, no one even knows. And it, it's, these environmentalists are ruining the planet. They are. I mean, they are. It's, you can't make it up. It is, George Orwell warned us, and we're living in it. And the environmentalists are ruining the... It's time for... i got to order that belt. The planet's champion, man. i got to make sure the trademark's available on that. 
<laughs> I, that, I'm telling you what, man, the keynote speak speech, I'm already seeing it in my head at an oil and gas conference. <laughs> and I'll bring the belt and everything. Mr. Terry Eat, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought one last time as we take a quick pause and we come back. We're going to conclude our interview with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. All we need is four wheels, a full gas tank and a few miles left, where all the lonesome souls go. Who wrote their songs and living, and now it's our souls Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we conclude our interview with Terry Edom, an energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. Terry Edom. It's time for, I got to order that belt, the planet's champion, man. I got to make sure the trademark's available on that. <laughs> I, that I'm telling you what, man, the keynote speak speech, I'm already seeing it in my head at an oil and gas conference. <laughs> and I'll bring the belt and everything. It's, it's going to be like a WWE belt, man. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> with, uh, with diamonds and gold. And, oh, yeah. Take <laughs> uh, on all comers. Oh, this is going to be great. Get a picture with the planet's champion and everything. All right. Well, all right. We got one of the hardest working journalists in the business, energy writer, BOE report, and also also is a writer as well, an author, actually. Author would be the correct term. The I, I'm I'm big into trying to be impeccable with my word. Oh, you're, and, you're and, nailing it. Yeah, thank you. Well, there's there's you know these are there's a reason we have different words for this. You know, a writer and an author are actually different. different yeah. Um. So okay, just kind of wrapping up here. How can people you know make you some money? Talk, give a plug for your book, and then also you know your, your energy writing and that sort of thing. Oh, I mean, sure. yeah. Go ahead. Well, uh, well thank you. The, yeah, the the, the book. I, I think it's just. Uh, there's a essential conversation that needs to happen here because we're we're so polarized and it's almost become political and and certain elements like the green new deal they want to make it they want to make petroleum political and and you know politics nothing gets resolved if, um, socialists and capitalists are never going to agree and i think energy should not be like that because it's critical to our existence and um so my book is a is a arrow aimed right at the heart of that gap and and i want 
average people to be able to read it and then come away with a new appreciation for the, what it costs to live the way we live and, and a, an appreciation for how difficult it's going to be to change. And I don't dismiss the environmental concerns. I say they're necessary and we need a greener planet. And, um, but it's, we just have to do it in the right sequence. That would sum it up. And how can people uh, uh, access your uh, writing, your your um, so, reporting? So I for, okay, so I so my, I'm as an author, my book is on uh, Amazon.com. It's the end of fossil fuel insanity, and then my writing is uh, I write a, a pure oil and gas column for the BOE report, and then I also write um, an energy column on my own web, website, which is called Public Energy Number One, and that's hmm. a bit more a bit more broadly focused, where I'm just an extension of the talking to the general public theme where I try and um, make make these things a little bit clear. I, I write articles there about exactly like you say, like extreme environmental extremists can be very bad for the environment because they force this polarization. And, and then you get people that act um, contrary to, to, to the way that they might otherwise act because they're offended by the, um, the Green New Deal or something. And so they act against it when it's not... You shouldn't act against it. You should say that that doesn't make sense, but we should still focus on the environment. And if you're, if you're making the debate political, you're not focusing on the environment anymore. You're focusing on the politics of it, which is what the United Nations is really bad for. And so I think we, my book and my writing is just an attempt to pull people away and separate the two and say, say energy is energy and politics is politics. And you go, go fight your political wars, but we need to secure our energy supplies. And that was Terry Edom, an energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. And that's going to do it for today's program here at the Multimedia Cafe. If you'd like to listen to the interview in its entirety with Terry Edom, the energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, log on and visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All of the social media links can be found at thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. We'd love for you to be part of our ever-growing army of social media enthusiasts. We're up to 350,000 now, a little bit over 350,000. Go to thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. One last time, I'd like to thank Terry Edom, an energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity for coming on today's program to talk about some of his latest concerns and examples about the religion of environmentalism and the tactics that are being used right now. And I love the idea that with the innovation that's going on in energy right now, now is the time for oil and gas companies to actually try to do some public relations. The innovation is the way to usher in the education. Innovation ushers in education. That's going to do it for me, folks. From the staff, oh, one last time, we'll be back tomorrow. The same radio station you're listening to right here at the same time, or if you're streaming us online or downloading us via the iTunes app or maybe one of our other podcast portals. Thank you very much for choosing us as part of your content. Of course, The Crude Life, all of the interviews here are exclusive. From the staff, at the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me.
Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty. and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave So take me as you find me All my fears and failures give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender, I surrender. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. salvation heroes and conquer the grave Jesus conquer the grave shine your light and let the whole world see singing for the glory of the risen King Jesus shine your light and let the whole world see singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, heroes and conquer the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King. My God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, heroes and conquer the grave. Jesus conquered the grave, you're my Savior. You can move the mountains, God, you are mighty to save. You are mighty to save forever, author of salvation. You rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. 
Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 